Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we talk about popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm currently in the process of downloading the newest Call of Duty. You know, Call of Duty, uh, there's a lot of them. It's the, it's the, it's the newest one. Uh, and I'm seriously Reagan hoping simulator. that it doesn't mess up my Wi-Fi connection. Uh, it's pretty large. Uh, do you guys remember when we used this this thing called a disc? <laughs> I mean, I'm Alex. Um, and I'm not really a fan of trickle tri- fan of trickle down bandwidth. I'm Britain. <laughs> <laughs> like that that joke took more effort to say than was worth was worth the joke. Hey, just it was okay. I actually recently Great British Bake Off did an '80s week. And I made a joke about them using trickle-down icing, and it has not gotten the reaction See that? that it should, yes, which I is like gales that. of laughter. I think it's a pretty good <laughs> joke. Um, but we are not here to talk about uh, uh, weird re- uh, reproductions of historical figures. Um, we're here to talk about not at the museum, too. <laughs> I mean, are we? <laughs> It's just it's put in. Uh, we'll stop with the Reagan discourse after this after this comment. But it's put into my head the idea that Robin Williams plays Reagan, in like just having him be in these movies playing a, a wax. Okay, so wax every idea. episode we need to come up with a, a, a perfect way of utilizing uh, Robin Williams' skills. So in the first one, I had mentioned replacing Tim Allen in the Santa Claus trilogy with Robin Williams, yes. and now we want him to play Ronald Reagan. All right, Britain, you've got to figure out what to do for the next episode. <laughs> Which president did he play in Lee Daniels' The Butler? Was it Eisenhower? It was somebody weird. Because that movie had really weird president no casting because Alan Rickman played Reagan. Hmm. I haven't seen that movie, but all of those castings sound very off the wall. Yeah, it was strange. I'll figure it out. Um, that's so weird when Alan Rickman is such a such a ringer for HW. <laughs> just... I was gonna say he's such a ringer for Bill. <laughs> for Bill. <laughs> <Awesome. sighs> we, we have fun here. Fun presidential humor. Night at the Museum Two: Battle at the Smithsonian came out in 2009, directed by Sean Levy. Again. It has a 45% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 47% audience score, which slightly higher critic score, uh, significantly lower audience score. Who wants to go first? <laughs> it was, it, it it was in fact Dwight Eisenhower. Very weird. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who wants to go? First, Alex, yeah, you had a best and worst, I believe. You said, "Do you want to go first?" Uh, sure. I, I'll, I'll start with my worst thing. Uh, I didn't hate this movie, but I, I found it surprisingly boring. And I, the, the <laughs> first one's not a work of art either. But at least the first one, I was able to like, I understood it, and I was able to get in the groove with it, and actually kind of find it somewhat compelling or compelling enough. This one, I just just a complete flatline for me. Um, but my worst thing, I can't decide between criminally underusing Bill Hader the way the movie does, or the mm. villains, particularly Hank Azaria. Um, mm. With Bill Hader, he's amazing as General Custer in the scenes that he's in. Um, I, I was like, 
that was the one time watching the movie where I was like flat out laughing, like every scene that he was in. I was like, this is so amazing. <laughs> but uh, Alex, what what year did you say this movie came out? Two thousand nine. Okay, okay, yeah, because I think this was at a time when Bill Hader was like he was still on SNL and he was in, he was definitely a breakout from that, but like right. he wasn't his own name yet. So I guess like. He, yeah. they, people just only wanted to use him as a cameo and He'd not been be in, very, very... Because Tropic only. Thunder was... The year before. 2008, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's... So, like, I think he started to... That's that's the thing I've been trying to kind of keep in perspective is, is, like, when this comes out in terms of, like, all the cameos that they're able to have. Because, um, like, yeah. Jonah Hill's in this and for a scene. But I think that's just because mm, yeah. Superbad came out, like, two years before. So... Yeah. Um, also, this scene with Jonah Hill, I also found very, very funny. <laughs> Alex, <clears throat> you've also just, like, plugged a, a piece from your a problem you had into a piece of a problem that I have. This probably was not going to be my worst thing, but I just want to throw this out here to see if it would make you... Uh, if, th- if this change would, A, make you satisfied if it happened in a universe where you could watch this movie, and B, uh, make you angry because you're not in a universe where you can watch this movie... Would it have made you happy if Bill Hader had voiced the Thinker and Abraham Lincoln statue? Because Hank Azaria mm. does instead, and I was really disappointed by that. I, yeah, I, I did um, notice that, and yes, that probably would have improved things. Heck, make Bill Hader the evil Egyptian god, pharaoh, man, that, well, whatever. <laughs> like, we're, or we're, not. we're already, like, messing up on the whitewashing here. Like, why not? Sure. I'm just saying the fact that, like, Bill Hader uh, is very good with his voice, like he does a lot yeah. of... <clears throat> yeah, crazy stuff, uh, and I think either of those would have been a lot more entertaining. Yeah. No, I completely um, agree. And I wish they'd either done that or gotten a different uh, voice uh, actor for each of those two like small characters, yeah. just as like another cameo chance. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, I I think I'm gonna go with my worst thing being just the villains. What's Hank Azaria's yeah. character's name in this? Common Ra. Common Ra. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think he's... You know, like a common raw marriage? Uh, precisely. <laughs> um, I, I think he's just kind of bad in this. Um, I know, Britton, you were, you were saying that he was apparently going for, like, a Boris Karloff impression. Um, mm-hmm. but to me, it just sounded like Stewie with a slight lisp. Um, I found yeah. him very grating. I didn't find him intimidating in the slightest, so he didn't really work as, like, a villainous presence to me. And I didn't find him funny. I found him obnoxious. So I didn't even, you know, I didn't even get any comedic uh, value from him in this, which is unfortunate. And then also, the fact that they were actually wise enough to cast Rami Malek as our Egyptian character in the first one, it's like, oh, I feel like they actually put some forethought into that and didn't just make a stupid mistake. And then this one they go, hold on, (laughs) we've got to make a stupid mistake. Um, but then also just, I know, uh, John Bernthal, I guess this was right around the time that Walking Dead was starting, so he wasn't a really a mm. big name, mm-hmm. but you've got John Bernthal as Al Capone. Yeah. You yeah. like that. It, He's got, like, one line of dialogue. I feel like when he talks, the, like, three times he talks in this movie, you can tell that it's like, oh, oh, he's, yeah. like, immediately, like, you know... That that's a commanding like presence, yeah. and and he's already like got a handle. He's on intimidating. This kind of thing he's mm-hmm. doing with the the black and white Capone, like that's really interesting. And yeah, they don't they don't do enough of them. They don't do anything with them. 
He well, I, I mean, as in like he gets three lines where they could have at least given him something else to do. What yeah. <laughs> one scene? That, um, I don't know. But yeah, then yeah, we've got a couple other villains. Um, Napoleon was okay, I guess. Ugh, Probably God. the best handled overall, just because he had stuff to do. I don't know. Um, well, <laughs> well, I, I'm just they let him improv for I, what felt like 27 minutes. For, for me, I think ultimately the, the biggest problem with this movie is it's too plot driven when compared to the first one. This one is just like hmm. we got to get the MacGuffin. It's all about getting the MacGuffin. The first one's like, oh, Ben Stiller's character is exploring this really unique world that he he you know completely unaware of and then in like the last 25 minutes we have kind of a macguffin chase but like the rest of it's yeah. just kind of him learning about the museum and kind of learning like how that affects his character arc and this one is just like a chase film and i found that a lot less compelling and it made it feel a lot more like a very generic kids film to me um but yeah, in terms of best things, uh, I don't want to just say Amy Adams because Amy Adams is the best thing. Um, then just say Amy. I'll, I'll just say Amy <laughs> Adams. I would say Robin Williams, but um, I, I feel like he was actually kind of shoehorned into the movie. Like, I feel like if you're just gonna yeah. have him bookend it, just have him bookend it. Don't have it like, oh, we needed a Teddy Roosevelt statue for them to interact with for a scene. Because uh, mm. we, I will say though, he was. He was pretty funny in that. Scene. I think that's a fun. Movie. No, it was it was fun. I just wish like if you're gonna do that, have Robin Williams throughout the whole movie. I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't like sure. the, the way he's kind of just kind of randomly placed in in the film. Um, but yeah, Amy Adams is great. No shock there. Um, completely different from other performances I've seen her in, and I think this is yeah. this is before like she really became like a prestige actress. Um, right. So when did uh, Enchanted come out? Uh, that was two thousand seven. Okay, so that yeah. would have been. A, so we're we're in that yeah. range of like she's still but doing like, kind of more fun family things. It's it's so weird like watching this and then like going and watching you know like something like Man of Steel or something like that and like sure. Amy Adams can be like super charismatic. You just gotta let her do it. Yeah. And um, yeah, she's she's a lot of fun. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that rolls right into mine. I mean, my best thing is is Amy Adams. I think she's one of the most like dependable movie stars of you know of the last twenty years. Um, she is. Lit- I mean, and I, I I feel like in recent years, a lot of the stuff I've seen her in, I haven't liked the movie, but I've literally always liked her. She's always yeah. good. <laughs> and yeah, she really hit in two thousand five with this movie called Junebug, which I love. And in that movie, she gives one of my favorite performances by of any actor in anything. Um, I think it is just, like, sheer genius what she does in that movie. And then Enchanted, and, and she already had two Oscar nominations at this point. Hmm. And, like, she was on her way. Like, she, she was a name, but she wasn't, like, now where she can, like, like you said, she opens these, like, Oscar bait movies. Like, that's kind of where yeah. she, and uh, HBO stuff uh, with Sharp Objects, which I haven't watched. Um, but yeah, I love her in this and I, she's such a great dramatic actress. I mean, we arrival, she's amazing in that. Um, but she is very funny and she's very charismatic and bright and she's just like a, a winning personality and I love her. Um, 
side note on the best thing, I thought the visual effects were pretty fun in this. I liked looking at a lot of the effects. I liked the mm-hmm. effect of the black and white Capone team. Yeah. Apparently the budget was $150 million, so I sure hope that the movie looks good. Sure. <laughs> I think it, it, it tracks for that, which is yeah, surprising to me. <laughs> and I loved when they're in the, the art museum part and you're seeing the paintings move. I loved the way all the paintings look. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really was really clever. Um, my worst thing is going to be Hank Azaria's casting, just because it is whitewashing, which is frustrating anyway, but especially when, Alex, as you pointed out, they already cast an Egyptian-American actor yeah. in the first movie. Well, cause, so they're clearly aware. Yeah, because it was making me think, like, why don't why is Rami Malek not in more of the movie? Because the idea is that they're brothers, right? Yeah. And, and they, they don't like each other. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, because then you'd have that awkward moment where <laughs> Hank Azaria and Rami Malek are in a scene together and they're supposed to be brothers. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How could I forget? <laughs> and I don't know, like, I think you can still make the argument. It, it's harder to make this argument because the movie still doesn't, like, make even, like, a passing joke about this. But mm. I think you can still make the argument that it's like, oh, uh, it's a very whitewash because it's like a mannequin made sure. And sure. by like an American museum and like yeah, America's I very gotcha. bad about a lot of the ways they uh, approach history and uh, make things look like, I don't know, whitewash essentially. Um, yeah. But yeah, they don't even, like, we talked about that last time with a few things, like with some of the Teddy Roosevelt stuff and uh, Sacagawea. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And they don't, they don't really um, make any additional, because like Teddy Roosevelt talks about in the last one, where he's like, ah, oh, well, you know, I'm actually just a mannequin, I've never done any of the actual things Teddy Roosevelt did, so, uh, you know, <clears throat> yeah. have a mulligan, because I can't, you know, you can't actually hold me accountable for any of the historical things <laughs> I say. Um Whereas, like, this doesn't even have a joke like that to kind of throw that off as far as, like, why. I don't know. And I guess that is, because I think that isn't Remy Malik supposed to, he's not a mannequin, right? Isn't, didn't he come out of his own, like, tomb or, like, sarcophagus or something? So I mean, is he, he theoretically... did, I don't know if that's supposed to be, like... Okay. I we I guess I, maybe they did say a specific line about this. I, it could just be that that he's like a replica, and then like the only thing that's real is okay. the tablet. I don't really know. Yeah, sure. that's actually Cause, a cause, good. Point. I mean, that that could certainly that could add up if it's like, well, Hank Azaria is a mannequin, and but he's an actual. But Rami Malek is the real well, pharaoh or yeah. whatever. Um, but then again, at the end, yeah. when it's like, oh, all the the museum, you know, everything's just come to life. Um we have all the patrons now visiting the museum at night when everything's alive. Yep. Um, Rami Malek is there as one of the exhibits. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll go to bat for Hank Azaria's voice work, not in this movie specifically, but like, obviously Hank Azaria is a million and three voices on the Simpsons. Right. Um, and is a, a very gifted voice performer. Um, and I think, and, and a lot of his Simpsons characters famously are bad impressions. Like Lou the Cop is a bad Stallone mm. impression. Oh, Chief Wiggum is a bad Edward G. Robinson. And that's Hank Azaria is like, he's like, oh, that was my intention was like, I'll do that impression and then make it bad. And that's the character. Um, and so like, I, 
I'm not familiar enough with Boris Karloff to say that that was whether it's a good whether it works or not. But like the voice is strange, and I think that the voice work for the thinker and Abraham Lincoln, it's just they don't like those voices don't sound like distinct and and unique yep. enough. And I think especially for Lincoln, like yes, yeah. get some get somebody else in there <coughs> who's well, the maybe, uh... you know don't have. I don't know. I grew up in a house where Abraham Lincoln was and continues to be like a deity. So I always sure. feel weird when he's depicted in comedies. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, eh, you're just not. But anyway, who's the who's the Optimus Prime guy? Um, Peter Cullen. Oh, voice actor. Peter Cullen. Yes. Get, get bring him in. It'd be fun. <laughs> My name is Abraham and I know, Lincoln. And, and like I realize that's and not. And at the again, end, he goes, actually... "I will kill them all." <laughs> that's not actually what. Uh, Abraham Lincoln sounded like we're not. I'm not. I'm not advertising or uh, sure. advocating for look, Daniel Day Lewis. What, what you're saying is <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis should have been in this as a prelude I mean, to, to his Oscar-winning it, role. If if the statue fits, if the beard fits, um, <laughs> if the hat but, fits, if the hat fits, I guess that's that makes more sense. Um, but I think when you've got you know the giant statue of Abraham Lincoln, who's like the biggest character in the movie. Uh, smash it around. I think you can get you can give him just give him something so that he sounds like intimidating yeah. and, and presidential and is like, oh, I'm Abraham yeah. Lincoln. Like the, it's sure. just very. And I think and that's the, the and Bill Bill Hader I know can do like really deep voices like that. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know I've I know he's done that before. Um, no, I've heard it. Yeah, it's crazy because he does all sorts of impressions. Uh, and I feel like uh, he that, that's why I threw his name out. But yeah, somebody just get, give me someone with a little more boom. The voice, yeah, and, and, and so that was my is is not like uh, Hank Azaria is not good at this. It's just no, like, yeah. oh, I feel like I, I feel like the thing in this movie is Hank Azaria just wasn't given enough to like work with. Like, there's a lot of scenes where he's clearly just they just wanted him to riff, yeah. and like mm-hmm. just kind of like ad lib and just like kind of be funny. And Hank Azaria is a very funny performer. I'm not sure what sort of improv training he he does or doesn't have, but like, I think they just were like, here, just talk, and he was like, okay. But you're just having me talk to nothing. Like, I'm not <laughs> interacting with another actor where we're yeah. giving each other things and I'm playing off of them. I'm just having to, like, spin off the top of my head. And so it, it wasn't so much that I'm like, oh, I think Azaria, be funnier. It's like, you, I understand you're put in kind of an unfair position. I remember when I watched the movie the first years ago, I remember thinking that a lot of – I remember feeling like there was a lot of improv in this movie that went nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still feel that way. However, I thought the Jonah Hill scene was way funnier than the first time I saw it. Yeah. In that the first time I saw it, I was really annoyed I by it. I was so... But this time I was like, that's pretty funny. I was so disappointed that, number one, Jonah Hill didn't come back, and number two, that Jonah Hill didn't end up being the villain. I, <laughs> no, I seriously thought well, that I'm was possibly like... going to happen. Sure. But like when he walks over and he's like, hey, homie. No way, Brosif, or what all that yeah. stuff. Like that, that scene was funnier than. It's not like a masterclass of humor, but I was like, "That's this is making me laugh when I do not remember feeling this." No, way that's the first a, time. So like, and it's a really uh, good point. Back and forth between Jonah Hill and Ben Stiller. Yeah. Like they they do a good job of that. And I think that's because because they have each other to play off of. Um, yeah. And then they have Napoleon do one with Ben Stiller that I just went to my phone and yeah. just waited for it to be. <laughs> I found that just. It just I found that draining, which is very pretentious, I know. But uh uh no uh yeah, I, I, I feel like in this um 
Yeah, the Jonah Hill bit was funny, the Napoleon bit didn't make me laugh. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, I, I think Hank Azaria is a very funny performer in other things, like The Birdcage or The Simpsons, but here he was just kind of like hung out to dry yeah. <laughs> and, you know, could have used some more ground to, to dance on. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> well, let me. I'm cracking open my podcast, podcast Gatorade. Uh, just to <laughs> look, you sure need, you need electrolytes here. when you're talking um, about Night at the Museum you 2 do. Battle of the Smithsonian. Yeah, it's a, it's a high energy movie. <laughs> um, work off a lot of calories <laughs> watching this movie. Uh, <laughs> now, I. Um, my best thing is going to be the creativity of the that they get out of the setting um mm. i talked about in the last one that i was excited to see kind of where they go with this and i because i could only vaguely remember what all happened in this movie and i was pretty pleased i think that they do a lot of really fun stuff uh in this they, they obviously have a higher budget and they put it to good use um and just show off a bunch of random things coming to life that are really fun like i i, I like the <laughs> Uh, potentially like universe breaking. I don't. I don't really know exactly what to make of the fact that they go inside a painting at one point. Um, yeah, that's like a that's like a whole thing. It's like is this that's a, a parallel universe? Did you guys like, stick around for the after credit scene or the mid credit scene? I did. Scene, which mm-hmm. <laughs> talk about breaking your brain. Incredible. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we'll talk about it because that is that that might might have been a contender for my best thing. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, they, so they and Britain, you mentioned that they have like the moving paintings and everything. Um, obviously, we we do regardless of how they're used. Our, our villain cast is like, oh, it's history's greatest villains. It's Napoleon and it's uh, Ivan the Terrible and uh, not Hitler. Hitler. It's like not Stalin. <laughs> sure, <laughs> history's Perhaps greatest. Wisely. Yeah, <laughs> history's greatest villains that are still vaguely sometime a long time ago. <laughs> um, yeah. Much like much like they did with the first movie, I think. Um, but then, like, we get the scene where they're trying to set off all the the rockets, and they're all just like, "Yes, we have to launch them all!" And Ben Stiller is trying to stop them. That's that's a fun little sequence to see all the different vehicles uh, starting up. Um, <clears throat> what's his name from The Office and Brooklyn Nine Nine? Sometimes, and who's one of the Tuskegee Airmen? Oh, oh, Craig Robinson. Yeah. Craig Robinson, yes. Um, <clears throat> he uh, he shows up for, like, a scene, I think? Maybe he yeah, pops up at the end there? with Twofer from 30 Rock. Say that again, what? With Twofer from 30 Rock. Oh, I haven't seen 30 Rock. I, I figured that, yeah, the, yeah, that yeah. he was... Yeah, he was uh, the other Tuskegee Airman. Yeah, yeah. Keith Powell. Um, but, uh, yeah, he uh, he pops up as as one of the Tuskegee Airmen, and there there's a scene that I actually quite like. That's just a, a fun, short little sequence where... Uh, he he and Amelia Earhart um, clasp hands, and he's like, "Hey, you know, you you paved the way for us. A lot of people didn't think we could fly either." And I'm like, "Oh, that's actually mm-hmm. like a sweet, like just played straight, <laughs> yeah. like nice little uh, historical uh, progress moment." Now get back to the like, goofy okay. shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. Get back to like, two monkeys <laughs> slapping Ben Stiller. Just kind of, yeah. <laughs> just kind of blinked a few times and then moved on with my life. Um, but. Uh, yeah, they just do a lot of things with uh, various exhibits. Like, you've got the Thinker statue moving. You've got the Abraham Lincoln statue moving. I think that the Lincoln statue moving is a lot of fun, I think, just because that's such a, like, 
Oh, like that's a that's a big moment everyone can have. You don't have to have like been to the Smithsonian to realize sure. like, oh, you see the big statue and the big statue gets up. We've seen that big statue in photos before because it's a big famous statue. Like it's like if you have the Statue of Liberty, you know, get yeah. big, or whatever, yeah. get getting big, getting up words. Um, reference to Ghostbusters too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I think they do a lot of cool little tidbits um they have einstein bobbleheads mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's just lots of weird little kind of creative yeah. things that are done in a way where they didn't just continue building in a, in a slow man like it's an exponentially bigger movie yeah um than the first one uh, the animation on those bobbleheads is yeah. great it is that. yeah i thought they looked really good <laughs> um, no all the special effects surprisingly hold up very mm-hmm. well like the, that and whole scene speaking... where they're, they're flying through i guess that's that's the Tuskegee mm. Airmen kind of cameo conversation that happens right before them kind of flying and zipping all around through. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. that looks pretty pretty seamless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of the effects, the uh, the big squid, big squid's there. He, mm. he, looks, he looks pretty good. I mean, he's like stylized. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, it works. Or octopus, I guess. Um, yeah, octopus. And there, there's like a saber tooth tiger that jumps out early in the movie. Sabretooth tiger skeleton, it's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was uh, I was happy with the fact that they really went all all on board with the concept, and we're like, well, we're in like the biggest museum. We gotta you know show all this stuff. It'll be cool. Um, I mean, as far as a worst thing goes, I think it's kind of like the last one where there's not a ton of stuff that there you know I found particularly upsetting. Um, yeah. And it's not because it's like the greatest movie ever. It's just, it's it's a movie that is very of its time, um, mm-hmm. and very like targeted at a specific family age range type thing. Um, and it does a really good job of of what it's going for. Um, I think I would say, kind of going along with the Bill Hader comment. Um, I wish that some of the cameos got a little more use. Uh, I think I think Bill Hader definitely could have had like a, a big role in the movie. Uh, I think Craig Robinson would have been fun to, to have him pop up more. Yeah. Um, there was somebody else who I was I was thinking should. Who's gonna bother me? Was it Ed Helms? No. Oh yeah, Ed Helms doesn't even show back up. The does best he? part was like Mindy Kaling. <laughs> this came out the same year as the first Hangover. <laughs> yeah well i think so i think there's a defense for a one scene character because then that is a cameo right like that sure. is purely a oh you're here to show up like mindy kaling is in one scene yeah so the audience awesome. go, hey that's that's kelly and then you keep going it's what's well, it like we were talking about paul rudd in the last movie it's weird that paul rudd is if paul rudd had only been in one scene i wouldn't have cared but that he's like <laughs> in and out of the movie but in very small yeah, ways right. felt bizarre yeah, that's how I felt about Bill Hader uh, in this one. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, really, I think it's Bernthal when I realized, like, has anyone made a Capone biopic, aside from Josh Trank, that could <laughs> star... And I haven't seen it, maybe it's good. But, like, I'd watch a Capone movie starring uh, too old John Bernthal. Yeah. No, that'd be good. Um, yeah, and then, like, we mentioned Jonah Hill. Like, it, there's just a lot of, like... It's like a, a shotgun of cameos... That aren't really yeah. linked up. Oh, uh, I mean, we we talked about the um, painting 
place in like Jay, ba- Jay Baruchel. Yeah. <laughs> it's just there. Yeah. It's like, okay. And I guess he gets two scenes if you count the end credits. Um, Which. But like, I, I don't know. I It felt like it was a very uh, inexpert uh, approach to using like connections and budget to where they were like, hey, we can bring in all these fun people and they'll come in and, and help us out with stuff. Um, and, and, and do a couple scenes and it feels like there was no plan. Like, it's almost like they just would have someone show up on the set and they're like, uh, yeah, you can, you can be this guy. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, that's, in there. that's the interesting thing? thing when comparing it to the first one. Cause like the first one, when you have like a famous actor in, a, in, in one of the roles, they actually did something. And like, yeah. I, I don't know this, this one felt a lot more gratuitous in that way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um and, and like half half these people don't even need to be here, um, especially for like a kids film. I I, I don't know. I I, I yeah. I, it, it was a little distracting for me, particularly because yeah. some of them aren't even meant to be super funny. Like Ed Helms, right. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm I'm misremembering. I don't. I remember his bit being just like pure exposition. No, yeah, it, it, it feels like a bit that he's is a like comedian there to set up. Let him be funny. It feels like it's 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 there to set up him being funny. But to your point about uh, for a kids film, you could make the argument they're doing that solely because uh, they want like adults to be like I recognize them, like because half of those people are on the office. I mean, I guess, but like um, I said, the first one it didn't really have that problem. But no, I know. But but they've well, also think, got a bigger yeah, budget so I, this time around. So exactly. I mean, this is sort of the nature of cameos, is to come on and be a, f- a familiar face and then disappear. And it feels weird when those cam- when like, like I said, uh, uh, Mindy Kaling showing up, or Jonah Hill showing up for one scene and then dipping. That's fine, because it's like, they show up, they, they're funny, and they're gone. That's what a cameo is, is mm-hmm. the, pur- the, the purpose right. of a cameo. It's when they're pseudo-used, and you're like, you clearly have something here, and you're willing to put them... You're willing to have them shoot for multiple right. days. Why right. are they not in more of the movie? Right. And I think that, like, the, some of the movies that handle cameos the best are the Muppet movies. Um, hmm. All of the Muppet movies, uh, or most... Yeah, all the Muppet movies are just packed with cameos. Normally, for someone to show up, do a scene, maybe even just one or two jokes, and yep. then they're gone. And... Part of that is a carryover from the Muppet Show, where they would have a celebrity host each or celebrity guest each week. And Sesame Street has long is this long held tradition of very famous people showing up to like sing a song about crossing the street with Elmo, mm-hmm. because that is in some cases uh, exposure to new types of culture for kids. So they're like kids are learning about Lady Smith Black Mambazo or something, right. or it's. Because the parents are having to watch Sesame Street. And Sesame Street is amazing. <laughs> but it's even more fun, fun when you're like, is that Kofi Annan singing with the sure. alphabet with Grover? Like, what is happening? <laughs> um, you know, why, why are Hootie and the Blowfish here? <laughs> that just adds so much to That's it. That's my worst thing. They did why, a... why is Hootie and the Blowfish not in... <laughs> Not at the Museum 2 Battle of the Smithsonian. Honestly, they, they could sing the parody of their Couldn't own... They did, they did a parody of their own song called Hold My Hand on Sesame Street, and it was very good. <laughs> um, so this is just me further su- supporting us doing the Muppet movies. But, like, those movies handle cameos so well because the celebrities are either characters in the film that play roles throughout, and, like, they're the major villain mm-hmm. or a major role, or they're there to be, hey, there's Orson Welles, and you're yeah. done. And this movie had a weird relationship with that, where it's like, it's a cameo, kind of? 
How did you guys feel about yeah. the Jonas Brothers being the the flying angels? Oh man, uh, you know? just a haze of joy. <laughs> I was up on my feet, shaking my booty all the time. I found them very distracting. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, no, whatever. That you feels know, like the kind of thing that would distract. Well, because like, like in general, the, the, well, like, the style your, your of, of the, the cameos and kind of the the starring roles that they're going with, they're, they mm-hmm. tend to be going for like comedians or, or like I, I don't know, trying to to evoke the presence of the characters that they're supposed to be representing. Like like I, I don't know, like Owen Wilson's not doing like super modern jokes or anything with what he's doing, but the fact that the mm-hmm. Jonas Brothers were like. They were just singing like they normally do. I don't know. It found it, like it a seemed, pop song. I was expecting, and this ended up happening. I was like, they they have a song tied in with the movie that's going to play during the credits, don't they? And then they did. And I'm like, oh, that's the reason why they're here. Okay, um, Alex, Alex, we can. We, it's okay. You can you can admit it. You're upset that they went with the Jonas Brothers and not the Naked Brothers band. I understand. <laughs> I mean, if Alex Wolf showed up, and then I'd be like, "Oh, that's the Hereditary kid." <laughs> yeah, um, I'm gonna ask Alex to maybe change out of his Harry Styles T-shirt and just just hear me out. Just listen to me, just sir, sir. May I speak, sir? May I speak? Um, I would also argue that this movie they knew like who's gonna come to see this movie? Right, eight to twelve year olds. What are eight to twelve year olds listening to in two thousand? But no, no, no. I, I I totally get why they're in the movie, and this is me just continuing to 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 think about this more in terms of like a franchise and like I, I guess yeah, it's not necessarily tonal consistency, but I guess just like thematic consistency across movies. That felt just like a strange cameo to put in this movie. I don't know. Sure, it would be funny. I have not seen the third one. I have no idea what happens in the third one. Same. I'm hoping that we get middle-aged uh, cherubs in the third <laughs> movie. <laughs> that the Jonas Brothers are like, we have kids now. <laughs> and, but, like, but we're babies? Like if they had had, I, I don't know, like like Britney Spears have a cameo as a character in the first film. I, I think it would have made more sense to me. But the fact that we don't have anything in that one, and that, I don't know. I'm going on too long about this. I I, I apologize for wasting no, 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 everyone's no, you, time. No, you're not. You're, you are totally fine because you have just introduced our new segment. What historical figure would Britney Spears have played in Night at the Museum? <laughs> I mean, we're not just talking historical characters. We've also got like all sorts of different creatures and stuff as well. We have options. <laughs> you're right. She would have played the Hydra. No, um, no, no. I I, I rescind. I rescind what I, she should have played the Albert Einstein bobbleheads. <laughs> that would have actually been great. <laughs> oh, I can tell you, Larry Daly, you're just a womanizer. <laughs> oh, but be careful of my potion. It's toxic. <laughs> and then the other songs that she did. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, the obvious answer is they would have had her play Marilyn Monroe. Or Jacqueline Kennedy. But they probably should have had her play, like, Marie Curie. Yeah. There you go. You know? Good um, historical poll. Yeah. Gosh, women have come along. <laughs> <laughs> round, round of applause, guys. Round of applause. I, I did have another question. 
how do we feel yeah. about them kind of sidelining a lot of the the main supporting characters from the first film? Because a lot of them barely get anything to do, or they're just kind of yeah. locked in a box for most of the movie. I was already satisfied that like they were still part of the plot because um, I I had I couldn't remember going into this if any of them actually came back and I really thought that it was going to be like oh he's he's moved up to um, the Smithsonian because he's a big shot now and and like they're having another problem and he's got to go fix that problem and we're just leaving the whole cast behind Um, so I was glad when like the first you know 15-20 minutes of this movie are like focused on the aftermath of the last movie and he's developed all these inventions that he clearly worked on because he was the night guard and like then he is coming back to say goodbye to everyone and he's like why are y'all going or say hi to everyone and and they're all getting shipped off and he's like what's going on like i i like the fact that we spend a while dealing with that and i think that made it not bother me too much because then we can just get into the fun slash frustrating cameo roulette yeah Uh, i was totally with the movie for like the first 20 25 minutes um it was mm -hmm. basically right up until he actually gets like he sneaks inside the smithsonian and the plot really kicks in where that's when it started to lose me but before that i was like wow i'm i'm actually kind of on board they're actually trying to have a natural kind of you know progression for ben stiller's character and i'm you know that that's one of the things i latched onto for the first one and i was really admiring that they were continuing that and then his character arc in this movie is so half-baked like it's oh, mentioned man. like a handful of yeah. times just so we can have something that we check it off on the on on the box yeah. um so, so yeah and the half that is and the half that is baked was only baked because it was being handled by <laughs> yes <laughs> correct yeah so so the idea this time around is that you know he's he's finally but he, He's he's an inventor. He invents things, and he's super successful at it. <laughs> but he's he's left behind the thing that he truly enjoys, which is being the night guard at the museum. Um, so it's kind of him learning that and realizing that that's really what matters, and that's that's what he enjoys doing. So he's gonna you know stick with that. Um, did did either of y'all get the impression that he hated his job as an inventor at the beginning of the movie? Nope. I mean, they nope. kind of show him, like, he he gets the news from Ed Helms about the big Walmart deal, and he's like, all right, well, I guess I gotta do, you know, a bunch of preparation for that, and Ed Helms is like, why aren't you excited? And he's like, well, you know, it's just it's a lot of work. There's a little bit There's there. a little bit. Um, but yeah. also, Maybe he spends little, most of this movie worn, doing the thing that right. he loves, and by that I mean he's getting chased and almost killed. <laughs> sure (laughs) but he's also like he's fake laughing for like 30 seconds at uh george foreman yeah (laughs) okay pretty early on i went okay this movie might make me laugh because that part i found genuinely funny Uh the whole tv pitch infomercial thing i thought was really good when george foreman he's like i'm just a regular joe and george foreman's like you'd be a regular larry and then there's like (laughs) gales of laughter (laughs) from them in the audience and it's just so overblown and i was like this is actually pretty funny (laughs) and they're just like and larry daly you invented the they're talking about him you know like he's uh uh, leonardo da vinci Mm -hmm. or or something and they're like the glow in the dark flashlight (laughs) and it's it's all of that was so over the top i i found it quite enjoyable Mm mm-hmm 
No, I, I, I do feel like, yeah, and his arc in here is that he needs to do what he loves. But then I, yeah, it, it, it did feel kind of like, oh, we got to give this guy an arc. Uh, and then Amy Adams doing the whole thing about, like, live for adventure, you know, have fun, all that yeah. kind of stuff. She totally sold it because she's a great mm-hmm. actor. Right. So, like, everything she did, I was like, oh, yeah, this totally makes sense. But then when I was kind of pulled back and I thought about it, like, this doesn't really, like, okay, sure, I'll buy yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's more of a it's more of a motif than a theme well, for him. Sure. I, and it wouldn't bother me so much if, if that weren't such a strong selling point of the first film, for me at least, was that, oh, I, I actually do mm. kind of care about Ben Stiller's character. And I, I like watching his progression and, and you know, changing – Changing how, how he's looking at, at, at this situation. Like, I, I appreciated all of that. And then this one is just like, we got to slap something on there, don't we? <laughs> all right, let's 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 make yeah. sure he goes back to the museum. That way we can make another movie later. <laughs> sure. Um, I also want to point out, Hank Azaria, not really scary. His arms look incredible. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, his arms are I was asking myself at the beginning, I was like, is he like wearing a bodysuit or something? But <laughs> I, I don't think so. So I'm not – this is not to brag, but I have seen Hank Azaria on stage. Um, totally not bragging. On, on Broadway. Totally not <laughs> bragging. Um, dude is super handsome in real life. <laughs> um, not that he's ugly on screen or anything like that, but it's just – Seeing him in person, you're like, oh, oh, wait, Hank Azaria is like really good looking <laughs> and very friendly. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but uh, I that was really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I want to talk about the music yeah. uh, in this movie, Alan Silvestri. Alex, I have a, a genuine question sure. here. Has Alan Silvestri ever scored a James Bond movie? No, he has not. Because there are times in this, kind of like we've talked about Nolan, there are times when it feels like he's really being like, well, fine, I'll have them ski in mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really, there are times in this movie where it felt like Alan Silvestri was really pushing to score a 90s Bond movie. It, it is it is weird um, listening to, to some of Alan Silvestri's music because, like, he he, uh, he has such, like, varied scores. But I, I yeah. feel like for a lot of, you yeah. know, the, the family action-adventure type movies. His scores are very samey. Um, I was getting a lot of Avengers vibes from this. And not necessarily like the big big Avengers theme, but just kind of the other parts of the score that are just kind of seasoned throughout those movies. Interesting. Um, Just kind of like action beat music, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Although, Tyler, I need need you to go in. I need you to get some editing software. I need you to re-edit the final battle to have portals playing. Sure. I need you to do that. <laughs> that I'd be on board. With that, that would um, instantly make that scene so much better. Alex, did you not? Were you not the one who said that you also got a lot of um, National Treasure vibes? Yes, from I score? did. But that was early on. Because I that was when that. when uh, Ben Stiller's when he's sneaking around. around and he's trying to figure out where the, all the yeah. um, the wax figures where they're all located. Mm-hmm. It, it, and I forget who. See, that's where I was. That's when I was getting the Bond. Okay. Hit. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was like straight up National did. Treasure music, and I don't know if it was just that mixed with gotcha. the, the DC Ooh. location or what. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a big score, and like mm-hmm. there are moments. I think Tyler, you mentioned like the the duel, quote unquote, between <laughs> yes. his area and Ben Stiller. He is scoring that as though 
gods are clashing in the heavens for the survival of our of, it, of mortality. It, it it feels like it could be the score for Captain America facing off against yeah. Thanos. Like he's he just like rips I mean, it, it is so while huge. while you've got Hank Azaria and and his like little half scythe. Uh, yeah. And Ben Stiller with a it's flashlight, and they're they're just like <laughs> knocking each other, knocking. Them it's a it's a neat little fight. I mean, it's it, it's like ten no, seconds. It feels like, um, but yeah, I was just sitting there like, whoa, okay, where did yeah, this? Go? It is a big big score. <laughs> Alan's big score. <laughs> Trevor Rabin <clears throat> did the uh, National Treasure <clears throat> music. So it's okay. We'll get a third one eventually, boys. Familiar. Indeed. Never seen them. This is just like a uh, primer, really. I mean, this is the, we yeah, we had to we had to start somewhere. We're conditioning right now. That that's the big that's the big track meet. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the the villains and people being wasted. A, a real waste in this movie is Christopher Guest as Ivan the Terrible. Yeah, completely um, nonplussed by I him. Ad- and I adore Christopher Guest. I've talked about his mockumentaries on this show before, but like. In those movies, he plays these amazing characters like Corky St. Clair and Harlan Pepper and Nigel Tufnell, which isn't a – well, that was a Spinal Tap movie. But, like, he's he's such a brilliant performer and such a funny performer. I I think I saw somewhere that it's not even his voice. Hmm. That they had somebody else do the voice for Ivan. I could be wrong here. I don't know. But it just felt like – why yeah, very you get Christopher Guest, who clearly this was like a, a bunch of like this was written by co-written by Thomas Lennon, who's a comedy guy, like who's also comedy people. The movie for half a second, he is yeah. Both of the writers yeah. are the are the Wright brothers. Oh, oh I Sean Levy's right. at the very beginning of the infomercial <laughs> as well, mm-hmm. which I thought oh, yeah, that yeah, one, yeah, yeah. see that's that's the kind of cameo I like. <laughs> sure. That's neat. Sure. Blink and you miss it, and and I. I get that it's like a bunch of comedy people making a movie together, but if you're a bunch of comedy people and you have Christopher Guest, like, why are you not that? That's the one that stood out to me as like, why is he not doing anything? I understand John Bernthal; he wasn't, he he wasn't the the he's not a huge name now, but like the bigger name that he is he's now. A, I think he's big enough now to call it. Sure, sure. Between Walking Dead, and, and I mean, Punisher yeah. And... Sure, uh, Wolf of Wall Street and stuff, yeah. yeah. Various Very. good movies. Yeah, and it just felt like... So I understand at the time it was like, okay, we've got him, it's kind of neat, you know, Walking Dead, sure, but it's like, you all know what Christopher Guest can do. Yeah. Um, on, on Amazon, when it lists the cast, it lists uh, Ben Stiller third after <laughs> Amy Adams and Alain Shabbat, who plays Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ah, Yes. Napoleon, the, Alan Shabbat, the star of the film. <laughs> and I want to—we're talking about people not making modern jokes. So what? What knowledge? Um, this is a question I shouldn't have to ask, but I'm going to ask it. <laughs> what knowledge do these statues have? Because in the first movie, they have these uh, 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 exhibits have been coming to life. For a while, right. so they, it it makes sense that they all know that they're mannequins. They all know it's the modern era. They have the personas of their figures, but they're just like people. I, right. I, I get it. But in this, have these characters never come to life before? But Amy Adams, as Amelia Earhart, knows that she's a mannequin somehow. <laughs> but then 
Common Ra may not know that he is because he he has this very like real person motivation that ends up being real that there is actually a magic portal with bird soldiers well, that comes well, out that's, of it. Well, that's because the the tablet is real. The tablet. Yeah, the ta- okay, well, okay, the, the tablet, tablet is real. Yeah. Well, that's true. I, I was going to say that it's it's because the tablet is bringing to life the door replica. But if the tablet is also, yeah. like, if the door replica is also an artifact, that means the door replica right. is just a then real how thing. does it open into a portal? Fascinating. All of that is bizarre. But then also... I mean, the tablet Hank does Azaria have magic, is, so yeah. it's fine. Sure. <laughs> Hank Azaria is making references to, like, the opera, which is not something that existed sure. in ancient Egypt. So why does he know what the opera is if Br- he's never come to Britain. life before? And also, <laughs> why would Ivan the Terrible know the word awesome? Although... Ivan Terrible's original name does translate to something like Glorious. And there was another one that's weird. Because, like, Amelia Earhart is only speaking in a very exaggerated form of, like, yeah. 20s colloquialisms. But there's another one. Like, a, Oh, when uh, Napoleon is like, do you actually have a crush on her from college and now you're not friends? And he makes that joke, like, three times. And I was like, you wouldn't know what college is. <laughs> but, like, would he? Well... Britain, I, I realized very quickly that that the whatever rules that the, we had set up kinda, in the first movie, they're just kind of freewheeling it and just like whatever. I kind of, I kind of feel like the first movie also is. The, well, the, the first the movie is, in terms is small of the... scale enough; it's simple enough that right. you're not constantly questioning that. When I get to sure. the end of this movie and Ben Stiller runs into an Amy Adams that's not Amelia Earhart, and I don't sure. know what to make of that. <laughs> On top of the after credit scene with Jay Baruchel, like nothing makes sense. <laughs> well, Alex, as Let, I as I told you, Alex, talk, yeah. uh, in the in our group message beforehand, um, the canonical ending is that Amelia Earhart uh, was frozen uh, in the in the polar ice caps for many many a decade, and then was was brought back out, and she has no memory of what happened. Uh, and so then she has now stumbled into this museum, and now Ben Stiller has found her. And so it's this very nice, like, oh, he's going to help her rediscover who she was. That's that's what's happening. Oh, okay. I, I know the mo- I know it's it's. Subtext. Did, uh, did it's you get that there. from a secret message uh, on Fortnite? <laughs> yes. <that's... laughs> did Ian McDermott tell um, you that? <laughs> the dead speak. <laughs> Amelia Earhart is <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> I'm Ray. <laughs> Ray Earhart. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's very good. And the great words of Britain. Ah, oh, beans. <laughs> Let's talk about this whole after. We've alluded to it enough. Let's give the audience what they crave and talk about this uh, after credits thing. So basically, in the early on, Ben Stiller and Amelia Earhart are running around and, and they realize they they realize they can jump into paintings. So they, they do. pull a Mario and they're just and like then, whatever. Yeah. They, <laughs> exactly. I believe they go wahoo and then they're in. And they go into the painting where the couple is kissing after well it's the couple. The guy is kissing the lady after the war. Yeah, is over. Uh, Times Square, right? And they're running around Yeah. Yeah, Times Square. And so now they're in, but now they're in New York in the 40s. And then Jay Baruchel's a sailor and he's like, hey, my buddy's from Brooklyn. We got to They're just trying to beat him up because of Brooklyn. So then he goes to beat up the 
Kamen Ra's soldiers, and Ben Stiller drops his cell phone. And so then the post credit scene is Jay Baruchel still in the world of the painting in Correct. another location. Yes. Correct. Then is depicted in the painting tapping into the cell phone and conceivably discovering technology that had not been invented. And his last name, it turns you, out, is Motorola? Yeah, the, the, that's, the big, that's the big thing, is that oh, his mother wait. is like, Joey Motorola, get down here! Uh, which is just, like, that's not a person. That's, Motorola was not founded yeah, no, no. because someone had the last name Motorola. <laughs> like, well, but it's just like, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> Mot- to, to Motorola. Britain's point, it's, it's in this fake, it's in this painting, <laughs> so it's like, it's already like 5,000 steps removed from reality, and it's, like, it's, it's so baffling. <laughs> that might be one of the most confusing after credit scenes I've ever watched. Yes. And it just threw I'm Ray, Ray Motorola. <laughs> what? I just it's just it, it's it's brilliance. <laughs> it's just it's like how did you get to the this? The only point? reason I didn't name that my worst thing is because it's Jay Baruchel and I like Jay Baruchel. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and, and again, this, I'm, I'm calling out all these, like, apocryphal things, but, like, not really apocryphal, all these things that don't make sense, but, like, I don't really, don't don't really care because, like, I get what movie I'm watching. This isn't, like, people trying to point out why the time stuff doesn't work, or the dream stuff doesn't work in Inception. Like, it's not that. And I like Inception, I'm just saying some people are trolls. But, like... In this movie, I'm like, I get it. This doesn't really matter. But I am now thinking about it. Well, that's that's my problem where there is a difference between something like a Christopher Nolan movie and something like this where Christopher Nolan movies are meant to be taken super seriously. (laughs) I don't don't think there is. I think (laughs) – Exact same level of critique. (laughs) But with a Christopher Nolan movie or something Christopher Nolan's not at at museum (laughs) where you would only meet the Lumiere brothers and like (laughs) – a dog or something. <laughs> but, um, so with Christopher Nolan movies where they're trying to be super serious and they're, they're trying to fill you in on the details, basically at any point that they can, um, they're, they're super ex- exposition heavy. Um, you're meant to take it seriously. So when it starts to fall apart, when you notice the logic breaks in a Christopher Nolan movie, it's a lot more distracting. And I think it's sure. a lot more worthy of critique in that because Christopher Nolan's, like what he's aiming for is to try and have this super tight knit plot where everything makes as much sense as possible. Whereas something yeah. like this, where it's supposed to be a goofy, you know, family comedy, all the details are far less important. Which I agree, Britain. A lot of this stuff doesn't really matter. And you know, I said that throughout the the previous episode as well. I'm the reason I'm bringing it up so much is because I'm comparing it to the first one, and. The first mm. one, like I said, I think it's just the fact that it's a lot more simple and it's a lot less plot driven. It's just Ben Stiller exploring the museum, and then the last twenty minutes is a MacGuffin chase. Um, so, so that I feel like it, it wasn't setting up so many roadblocks where it could just like trip over them with with me asking questions about how the universe works. Whereas with this one, because it's a lot more plot heavy and we're dealing with so many characters that are just piling in and it's going in so many different directions, that stuff does become more distracting. 
Um, once again, not not deal breakers for the most part, except. Like I said, I, I think th- th- between the Amy Adams thing at the end and and the Jay Baruchel after credit scene, I was just I was just scratching my head. I was like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think the Amy Adams thing at the end is just supposed to be like he met a woman who looked like Correct. Amelia Earhart. Yes. I don't think it's literally. Oh no no, I, I get that, but but when I'm I'm like thinking about it from the screenwriter's perspective, or like, well, we need him to hook up with Amy Adams, but we don't want him to hook up with the wax figure. <laughs> We'll just have another woman who looks exactly <laughs> like her, but it's a completely different character. Right. It is also, and I'll be interested to see if they do this in the third movie, where he doesn't officially get together with the female lead. Because in the previous movie with yeah. Carly Gugino, it's like, oh, they're totally together. But also, it's not so clear that they're together that we have to address how right. they broke up in the second one. Right. You you didn't need a, a a couple of the characters. You didn't need a Owen Wilson walking in like they do in Transformers Three and just be like, "Yeah, she was a total jerk. <laughs> she hated everyone around here. We're glad she's gone." <laughs> or like in Pitch Perfect Three, where they're like, "Oh, we broke up again," <laughs> or whatever yeah. they did. Yeah. I don't know. I liked the balloon animal dog bopping around. That was cute. I don't know, uh, like a lot of the small little details in the background when they're just walking by and there's a bunch of characters just doing things like that. Mm-hmm. That was that was some of the more enjoyable stuff of the movie. Um, I I did feel like the movie went on too long. Um, and and once again, this isn't the type of movie where I'm gonna be like the plot structure is all out of whack and you know it, it, you know you you got your first act, your second act, and your third act, and they did this and this that. like that. That's not so much my problem, but. I did notice towards the beginning. So once he, he kind of reaches Amon Ra and, and like he's cornered and they're like, give us the tablet. And then they go on a chase for like 20 minutes and then he's captured again. And Amon Ra's like, give me the tablet. I'm like, we were just here 20 minutes ago. <laughs> what? Did, what? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. A lot of that felt. A little lazier than maybe it should have. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just it's it's like Pitch Perfect too. It's another one like I don't know, just make yeah. it bigger, make us some money, and we'll we did it. I do think I like this more than the first one. I do think I was more. I think I, I definitely laughed more, and I think I enjoyed it more. I can overall. see that. Yeah, I see more cracks in it, but like this is the one that I'll watch. Again, if I watch one of these again. Although, who knows what I'll think of the third one. What's it called? Like, Ghost of the Tomb or something like that? Something like that. Cradle of Life. I, I did find it yeah. a little confusing as well. So, I, I, I don't know how long the, the flight is from from D.C. to New York. But they, they, they really stress, like, it's <laughs> it's an hour until sunrise. And, and Amelia Earhart has to fly them back to New York and then fly back. I don't know. That's yeah. very strange. I thought they were gonna. I almost I thought they were gonna do something flight. with that, where maybe she doesn't make it in time. We don't know. We don't. We have no proof because I think don't they make a joke about her going off in the wrong direction? Uh, yeah, but then they're like, oh, she she, she starts she to fly. figured out her course, and then and then okay, Jeff and okay. is like, oh, she course corrected. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Did you guys like the 300 reference? I did, actually. I thought that was actually really cute. 
<laughs> what was this? Which part? It's when um, Owen Wilson and S- Steve Coogan, uh, Steve Coogan, are running around slow mo, stabbing all the feet, uh, people's feet, and yeah, slashing. Yeah, that was good. There's a yeah. Yeah, there's a shot of Steve Coogan like jumping up with his sword. I, that's I did think down. that the movie, it, because I think we have that first cutaway in the first movie where where it's the first time we really enhance like the size distance where it's like this super dramatic things yeah. going on, and then we zoom back like fifty feet away. It's the Ant Man, um, Thomas the the Train, uh, joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this one, I feel like they did it too many times, but but that three hundred joke was a nice spin on that. Well, and that they held it because they did it with the when Steve Coogan's riding the squirrel, they yeah. cut back and mm-hmm. or when he's running across the White House lawn, it cuts yeah. back and forth. But with with the the three hundred thing, it's like you show them fighting in slow motion, and it, it's just that. And then they cut to all the bad guys like hopping up and down because their feet hurt, and that's it. And I think that's why it worked better for me. It's because it's like we're we're showing you two things. We're not cutting right. back and forth right. between them. No, I totally so. agree. Yeah, so it's a shame Amy Adams won't be in the next one. <laughs> Ricky Gervais was still fun. Yeah, yeah. Have have either of you all seen the third one? Nope. Cool. I think Rebel Wilson is in it on the nice. poster, or maybe she, maybe she's just on the poster. <laughs> also possible. <laughs> it's a mannequin of Rebel Wilson. <laughs> Only she's being played by Nathan Lane. See, Britton, now that you brought it up, now I want a pitch perfect Night at the Museum crossover. <laughs> oh, man. That sounds like it could be fun. That'd be crazy. They do a riff off with the Jonas yeah. Brothers cherubs. <laughs> That'd be great. I will say this. So I, I'm, I really like museums. This movie made me want to go to the Smithsonian very badly. Sure. Um, not that I didn't want to go to the Smithsonian anyway, but like. This movie made me really want to go more more than the first one. The first one made me kind of curious about the Natural History Museum, but the this fir- one like big time. I, Apparently, they did actually shoot at the Smithsonian. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Um, I think I read somewhere that like once the Smithsonian like gave permission, they were really cooperative and really like enthusiastic and helpful and would like mm-hmm. give them information about the the exhibits and like oh you can do some. This is who this person was, and here's this, this information. But the really challenging thing was the intellectual property, fi- fictional yeah. stuff, yeah. that apparently somebody from Lucasfilm had to be on set to determine what Darth Vader would and wouldn't do. Sure. What Darth Vader does in this movie is stand there and then try to force choke Hank Azaria. Yeah. I, that's it. That That's another case of a quote-unquote cameo where I, I was a bit annoyed by it. It's like, get James Earl Jones to, to do something. Yeah. Don't. But I will say, I liked Oscar the Grouch in that because I like yeah. Oscar the Grouch. And I like the whole thing is like, hey, they heard that you're putting together a group of villains and they won in. And Oscar the Grouch is like, I'm totally evil. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, you're not. But you're not really evil. <laughs> and he does like, well, oh, fine. I'm like, oh. And that was Carol Spinney. I was like, hmm. oh, that's great. And I like the Darth Vader's just standing there like, but I want to be in your club. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I did. I, I did like yeah. when, when uh, Amon Ra is like sitting on his throne or whatever, and he's messing around with the film memorabilia, and he's like, "These aren't actually ruby slippers," and then he throws it. 
Archie Bunker. I don't know who you were, Archie Bunker, but I do admire your taste in chairs. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that stuff like that was neat, truly. Really embracing yeah. the fact that, oh, cute. the Smithsonian has a lot of cool things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to go there once it's, you know, safe yeah. to do that. You mean because of all the uh, stuff coming to life, right? Exactly. Once once we get the tablet under control, <laughs> then it's straight to the Smithsonian. Once Robbie Mallet tells me it's safe to enter. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seriously, I, I was almost expecting like him to show up at the end and, and save the day and like confront his brother or something. I, yeah. I don't know. The, but there were a couple of things where I was like, is this going somewhere? And then it just didn't. <laughs> and the answers were no. Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go message Rami Malek on Twitter and be like, "Can I go? Can I go to the museum, the Smithsonian now?" Also, can you give Alex? <laughs> is the movie true? Also, can you give Alex a copy of No Time to Die? Because I know you have one. <laughs> <laughs> also, are you essentially the Phantom of the Opera in that movie? Because it looks like that's what you're doing. <laughs> have you seen Cats? <laughs> responds and he's like yeah you can go to the smithsonian now and uh you know I, I can't give you a copy but i could offer a showing and i was like oh no that's fine uh that's I, that's all i really needed i'm sure he's good <laughs> <laughs> the screening will be available in six months oh. <laughs> uh, any other big things about natm Two, or shall we jump on to Gray? No, I think I'm good. Tyler, sorry, I'm else? still trying to think through the the initials there of the title because you didn't say Battle of Battle oh, of the right. and, Yeah, is it of or at? Alex, is it of or at? I think it's of. No, it's at. N A T. Battle at N-A- the in a TM bat. Yeah, it's it's so it's night at the museum, battle at the Smithsonian. In a TM bats, America's <laughs> next top Batman. Oh my god, <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a like how they have like the new animated series or the the Brave and the Bold for, for yeah. Batman series. That sounds like it would be some abbreviation for a Batman <laughs> uh, cartoon. I gave Great. the last one a C. Yeah, I gave the last one a C, right? Yes. I'll do a C plus for this one just because I enjoyed it more. They probably balance hmm. out in other ways, but yeah. And Amy Adams. Tyler? I think I'm going to go C minus. Maybe be Ooh. a little harsh. I thought it was fine. It's, it's just kind of sloppy, and there's a lot of... I, again, sa- same thing applies to this one as to, I did, as did to the last one. I remember watching this when it came out. I remember loving it, being there around the right target age range. Um, I think these are like really, really good, just family like silly mm-hmm. pictures <laughs> um, that I that I definitely do like recommend. But I don't, I don't think they really have much to offer. Uh, for someone who's just like look, watching them, like it, they're they're not so 
appealing to adults that you can watch and be like, oh, I missed that. That's amazing. Like, sure, that, that, sure. That joke, you know, would have flown away over my head or anything like that. It's just like, yep, there's some cameos. That's kind of neat. Yeah. I would say if you're, like, on an Amy Adams kick, it's a good one to sure. get into because it sure. that's a unique performance from her. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Totally great for, for kids and for a family trip to the movies, but... You know, as an adult, it's not like, oh, man, I'm, I'm so glad I finally got around to this. Yeah. I don't even know how the third one is, but if I ever find them, uh, find it a $10 trilogy Blu-ray pack where <laughs> you can get all three of them for 10 bucks, I'd be like, yep, that'll be a good yeah. put, play, little, little family film for <laughs> my kid is older. Be good. Throw that in the <laughs> Secret Santa. I'm really putting my value high on these movies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we got you the Night Museum trilogy, and I guess Oogie Love. Um, <laughs> that's a poll. Mm-hmm. I have thoughts. <laughs> um, I'm kind of stuck between C minus and D plus. Um, I know that that is a, a bit harsh, so I'm probably just going to go C minus. Um, yeah, I, I, for the most part, I, I, I enjoyed Amy Adams. I enjoyed like a handful of scenes, but I was mostly bored by the movie and kind of frustrated by it. Um, so I, I'll just stick with C minus for right now because it, it wasn't, you know, it's perfectly harmless once again. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I just with, with the significant budget raise and just kind of all the the talent at their disposal, I feel like this should have been a lot better than it was. Just kind of frustrating, and uh, you know, g- given that that I. I surprisingly enjoyed the first film. It, it was just kind of a disappointment for me to see that it was kind of just a step down. Um, it, it, gotcha. Very similar to, to the Pitch Perfect movies, and I'm kind of afraid that the third one is going to feel like Pitch Perfect 3 because <laughs> I did not like yeah. it. At the very least, I do appreciate the fact that all three have uh, the same director. That's which true. Which is not the case for Pitch Perfect. Correct? Oh, I didn't know uh, Sean Levy came back. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. For the third That's one good. Like, so. Yeah. I think that'll help. In some, so I'm in not some like way. massively concerned. I think it it looks like it does have worse reception, um, but also not like this is the worst thing ever. And yeah. none of these have had like extremely high marks anyway. Yeah. So sure, I don't know. Sure. I'll be curious hmm. to see. Maybe it's a hidden gem. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested to see what we got. And, and I haven't looked at the cast list. So I don't know what kind of crazy cameos we're gonna get. Mm-hmm. Ed O'Neill, what are you doing here? Um. <laughs> Sofia Vergara as Che Guevara? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you just rearranged some letters there, didn't you? <laughs> I think I did. Somebody somewhere um, is going to be offended by that. Anyways, Tyler, where can they find us? <laughs> well, hang on, hang on. I got to do my recommendation. Well, you can uh, you can find us online at herecomethesequels.boxbot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HUTSequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud. Uh, that's that's the things. We're out there. Give us a search. Uh, and, and this is where you can listen to Britain's Recommendation Corner is at any of those places after listening to the rest <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, we talked a lot about Amy Adams, so I'm going to recommend an Amy Adams movie that I like a lot. Uh, it's called Doubt. This is uh, it, it's not my favorite favorite Amy Adams movie because, but this is the one that's streaming. Um, it's on <laughs> HBO Max. It's written and directed by John Patrick Shanley, based on his play of the same name. Uh, it is about a a 
nun at a Catholic school in New York who suspects the head priest there of abusing a child, and it is about her launching this half investigation, half conspiracy to take him down. Um, and the movie is not so much concerned with solving the mystery as it is with presenting the power of doubt and the power of having a question. And it's a really interesting movie. I think it's super, super well done. John Patrick Shanley's a just from this, a quite capable director. It's really beautifully shot. It opens up the play. The play is like a four-person play, but the movie adds like adds the kids and adds these other characters, but it it opens the play up really effectively in a way that I think a lot of movies struggle to do when they adapt from theater. Uh, it stars Meryl Streep as the aforementioned nun, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the, the champion, as the priest, Viola hmm. Davis as the boy's mother in one scene, and she totally steals the show. And Amy Adams as a, <clears throat> a young nun who's kind of roped into the whole web. And all four of them are amazing. I think it's some some of the best work from all four of those actors. And that's saying something considering that it's yeah. those four actors. Like This was one of the movies that really showed me how great Philip Seymour Hoffman can be. Um, obviously, he was such a brilliant actor in everything, but like he's really good in this. And Amy Adams is incredible. Amy Adams is incredible. Um so yeah, I heartily recommend it. And, and it has kind of bleak subject matter. It's not that hard to watch. It's not graphic. There's nothing is depicted. It's all about the question. It's so if, if you're concerned about that subject matter, don't. I mean, I wouldn't say it's. I think you'd be fine because it's not. Hmm. It's not graphic. It's it's just really well written and incredibly well acted. Uh, Doubt on HBO Max. Have you all watched anything cool lately, or shall we go to our sign-off, which is always very polished? <laughs> um, I gave in and watched the first episode of The Mandalorian Season 2, and shocker, it's pretty good. There you go. Oh, yeah. I did not I did not really watch uh, anything of, of particular significance. I did watch The Way Back. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Which was, uh, oh, the... as you said, Alex, it was fine. That's that's like a perfect <laughs> B minus Sunday afternoon movie. Yeah, like, yeah, it's uh, compelling, compelling narrative. Good, good little performance from Ben Affleck. There um, feels very personal to him, uh, just in terms of his a lot of his struggles that he's had recently. He also looks amazing uh, these yeah, days. Yeah. If, if, if okay. there's been some. Look, uh, he's, had, he's had to whatever, get back but... in shape for the reshoots for the Snyder Cut. Correct. <laughs> and that's the only reason. He... <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he, he, is, he is going gray in a distinguished fashion, I would yes. say. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I may need to check that one out. Uh, I like that Gavin O'Connor sometimes. Um, <laughs> sometimes. I like Warrior. Sometimes is right. <laughs> Yeah, I I do uh, I do anyway, feel like that the... that's a movie that almost it works better as a trailer, just because you know mm. beat by beat what's going to happen. Which I mean, what's the... I can't remember. For some movies, there's a certain comfort in that. Obviously, we've reviewed a good yeah. many of them, but it really I I think the trailer says everything that the film ends up saying. I what cannot the, what remember. What else has he done? Because didn't uh, he do Miracle? I have not watched it. Yeah, Miracle, I which I have not seen. Miracle is but quite it's good. Kurt Russell, so it's probably great. You want another good Kurt Russell movie? Watch Miracle. 
Yeah, they've been playing on it. I've I've uh, I've been queuing up. So I did actually also watch uh, Remember the Titans, which I quite enjoyed. Oh uh, yeah, I've never seen that. It's not really to, like that. That was on. I think that's on Disney Plus. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a Disney so. film. Um, and it's actually it, that, that's that almost was my recommendation. I think um, it's it's quite good. It's very by the numbers, of course, and it's very like over idealized. But it is a pretty powerful story about racism and like fighting uh, newly segregated um, or the prejudice around new, newly segregated teams. And I, I think it does a good job of not shying away from the fact that like a lot of people in this situation just continue to be racist. Um, <clears throat> but there is also a lot of like, all right, now we're friends. And it's, like, eh, <laughs> it's not, I'm kind of, not always, yeah. but I'm no, I think it's, never, it's a good movie as well. Yeah. I'm kind of amazed. I've never seen it because that was one of the go-to uh, school movies they would just like play mm. in class when there's nothing to do I watched it at least two maybe three times when I was <laughs> at school yeah so, somehow I was never in that classroom yeah. but um, his uh, Gavin O'Connor's best movie is Warrior with uh, Joel Edgerton yeah, and uh, Nick Nolte and Tom Hardy that's his best movie it's yeah. awesome let's go good. watch it yeah, the accountant I w- with his other movie with Ben Affleck is is. Oh, did he? Do yeah, that? it's okay. a movie, mm. and that's not even <laughs> and that's not even terrible. It's just exactly it is just like, yup, I'm not <laughs> mad at this, but like, sure, I'm not. It, J.K. Simmons and Anna Kendrick are in it, <laughs> but like, there you go. Yeah, no, it, it is is a film, um, and is Britain. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been I... Tyler and I've been Alex and you're discovering the secret of the tomb is is that what the third one is called that's what the third one's called uh, are we are we are we blooping I would assume we're blooping let's just bloop <laughs> might as well bloop might as well bloop <laughs>